welcome to this week's episode of the Power of Three podcast. I'm Shauna, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dale and Liam. This week, we open up the forum to politics and how it overlaps with our personal lives. As nosy as I am, I want to know how Dale and Liam feel about what I would call the three hot topics in politics of 2020. Brexit, climate change, and of course, the government's handling of the pandemic. Don't worry, we'll get right back to the good stuff soon. But for this week, before we get into Brexit, let's begin with discussing how we see politics already in our personal lives. Let's get to it! So I I find it hard to distinguish anything not being political in my personal life. Do you find that everything is political or do you find that you can distinguish between them? I think I'm starting to realise that I'm a very political person. And I think what makes me political is by nature the things that make me who I am. Obviously, the colour of my skin, sexuality, gender, all of these different elements. And I realise my everyday is sort of a political journey or experience. It's always political because there are things going on where through me being me, it's harder, it's like, you know, in conflict with that. And I think, yeah, I'd just like to realise that actually I'm more political because um, I've learned what that means to be more political, being more in support of, like, uh, women being in, sort of, employment in, like, my own company. Looking at the gender pay gap and being in support of that idea, Mm. and, like, you can sort of make your everyday political in a way that depending on what your beliefs are, mine is to make sure everyone lives in an environment where they feel supported in some way. That's my responsibility, I feel, as a person. So I'm always political by nature. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of say the same. Like, I feel like that, again, my existence as being, like, a gay man, for example, like, even that in in and of itself is, like, a political statement because of, kind of, the whole context that surrounds that. And I think a lot of, like, people's... I guess intersections. Um, that kind of like we should just name the series intersections. It was because it's everywhere. Yeah, like, it's so inescapable. Yeah, and I feel like that. But actually, because where if you intersect on like an identity that isn't really seen as the norm as much as like things are obviously changing, but if you sit in that identity, then I think. That in and of itself, just your existence is a political statement. In terms of it shouldn't be, but in the current context, it is. So therefore, it's quite hard to kind of not see life through a political lens, particularly when it kind of sort of helps you understand why perhaps certain things aren't as accessible to you as they would have been had you not been someone else. And I feel like that maybe it's partly because... At least for me personally, I feel like my existence is kind of a political statement and I have had barriers that I think that I tend to uh, more on the side of, as you guys kind of sort of said, like just making sure that kind of sort of people get the things they need in order to be able to sort of live. Actually, to be honest with you, sometimes the real enemy are the people that are sitting in power. Maybe if people weren't squabbly, 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 we could actually look at our government properly and be like, actually, no, we're not standing for this this is what we voted for, like, child love, like, get someone better to do the job kind of thing. So that 
brings me on to something I was going to bring up anyway, so I'm going to bring up now, um, because it's so tied into what you just said. There is a documentary on Netflix, obviously, because that's that's like the only TV I watch. And um, I'm going to try and find his his, um, his documentary on here while I'm, I speak to find his name, but it's called Saving Capitalism. Um, and he was part of the Bush presidency. He worked um, beside Bush to put into laws. And this um, documentary, it doesn't say that it's like capitalism is bad. Again, I don't believe that capitalism is bad. Like, it's been good for us in a in certain sense, where it's we've gotten to the point where we've got economies, we've got a fixed trading way of going about it, even though it's controlled by, like, a group of people, but we'll get onto that one. But he also explores the fact that, especially in America, it is based in America, I do think that some of the um, applications that he's saying could be applied to British government as well, but obviously they have a much more capitalist society than even we do, where we have kind of prime minister more than like a president as well how it the political system democracy has now become what the corporations the one percent the people who have money can focus their money into politicians to then get political favors rather than actually enacting policy that um is for to benefit the lives of the everyday people so one of the examples that he um presents or the this what the statistics that he was presenting sorry was that um policies are 80 percent likely to be passed in their parliamentary system or whatever they call it their senate through their process 80 percent likely to be passed if they want it to be passed however the average person no matter how you mix it it ended up that if you had majority people who did not want a law to pass it would pass 30 percent 30 percent likely for for a policy that you wanted that everybody wanted to pass that it was 30 percent no matter what order you put them in whether or not the people wanted it or whether or not they didn't it would they had 30 percent like likelihood to get what it is that they want whereas companies had 80 percent chance 80 so no matter what you if you think it's wrong if you think it's right you're 30 percent chance of of enacting something a policy that would fit suit that or, not, or stopping a policy that would suit that. 30% chance. But if you don't donate enough to their kind of, wherever they're, they're kind of, lot, like, yeah, where they've got political pull. Foundations, charities, that sort of thing. People don't donate money for, for nothing. No. They, they, they donate because they want something in return. So what is it that they're getting in return? It was 90... So, so straight through from like the 40s, 60s, but it ended in 1998 and looking at when, when kind of Bush was in and um, they were looking at the laws that have been passed that have basically caused their system to become this 1% and this big economic gap that pharmaceutical companies, for example, this is the, they brought out a, a 24 year old, she's a student, she found out she had cancer and she was looking through the, and she's insured with an insurance company in America. Obviously we have the NHS, so yeah. this, this only really applies to America. She was, she had an insurance company and their insurance company told her that they don't cover the entire cost of her cancer pills. So in order to be insured and afford the medicine that she needs to get through chemotherapy, um, she needed to find three grand a month. What? That was with insurance. 
That is crazy. And that, like, three grand a month as well, that's, like, not... Like, depending on kind of sort of where you are, I know that, like, taxes work slightly differently in the US, so people are paid a bit more, but that, again, that's still, like... Translate to three times people's rent, like... She literally was like, that's, like, three months pay for me. Like, I can't, how do I get, find that in six months? And the reason why pharmaceutical companies were able to do that in the US is for a couple of reasons. One being, in the UK, we have a centralised healthcare system, which means they can buy it in bulk and they can fix the price, which means they can say this is the price for the entire country. Yeah. Whereas not having a centralised healthcare system, you're basically buying for your practice and your practice only. Secondly, is they passed a bill that basically stopped the American government from being able to basically regulate these prices. They actually passed it. There was a whole thing about, like, these Republicans saying, oh, it's it's unlawful, you know, like, the literal everything that's going on this year is apparently unlawful. (laughs) I get get if you want to have a free market when it's, like, I don't know, like, chess sets and, like, cups and, like, all of those kind of other industries, like... Things that are like, again, I wouldn't say for lux- like luxuries, but when you're talking about people and a healthcare system, I don't understand why you would want a free, like, a free market. I think, no, like, it's people's lives. Like, have it so that everybody gets treated the same on health. Like, it doesn't matter if you, it's about shoes or all this kind of stuff, but when yeah. you apply that to... I don't know, institutions where you're supposed to look after people, it then shit like that happens. I think it's also about setting the standards as well, because our NHS, for example, is obviously uh, free to the point of use, and it's kind of like, if you depending on the sort of quality of um, care you want, in a way, if you could afford it, you can go private, there is still that sort of... Option to get better service. Yeah, but as a very minimum, there's a certain standard where anyone needing, you know, life potentially life-threatening sort of things, like, you know, medications to save them from, you know, dying or whatever. I think that should come as a minimum. This is affecting someone's life, and there's no way she would be able to get free ground to... Stay alive, especially stay alive. especially at the same time as going through chemotherapy. Yeah. You're not going to be working, like, like full-time, really, are you? You're going to be sick a lot of the time. Have some compassion. Yeah. But... Do you notice that they they passed a law that allowed this to happen in Parliament? So not Parliament's Senate, whatever the, the their equivalent. Congress, I think. There we go. Thank you. In there, in there, they passed that bill at one a.m. so that no one would see, no one would be watching, while they were like literally like bargaining with each other to get votes. And I'm pre- well. I'm assuming that the American people didn't get the option to be like, "Is this what you want to happen to your healthcare?" I mean, it wasn't like a referendum because you only get once in a lifetime of that. But they didn't. They don't have the say in really the healthcare system there in general because obviously. Well, I guess Obamacare, some people were against that. But Trump, for example, like this, dismantling parts of that. The, the people of America didn't really have a say mm. because obviously in Congress they can say this is what's happening. And you have corporations that can spend money to get it to buy favors for what they want to pass yeah. and sway the market how they want it to to mm. go to make profits. And Why be- is that actually? Yeah, and do you know, so that so how can everything politics then becomes political? Because at the end of the day, the root of how we're running our democracies is not necessary for the many. I think sometimes poli- politicians are often guilty of playing the political game rather than listening. And actually, it's not really hard to listen because we all have social media and. We've all, you know, we've all got news. I mean, you all have different ways of communicating. Mm. And I think 
you know, they might be guilty more of getting one off on the other. Um, in, if we think about our current politicians <laughs> in the UK, um, it's more about the drama and the sense of making it seem like you're, you know, to be doing something. Yeah. But when it actually comes to listening to what, I don't know, what many people are saying about homelessness in Brighton, for example, why is that a thing when this country is like, so rich. <laughs> Very rich. It's like probably one of the richest countries in the, in the world. And I, I'm not saying I have a solution to necessarily solve homelessness, but I think, as you say, there's things they can do rather than saying, oh, we've gotten up, we've brought homeless down, homelessness down by X amount of thousands or hundreds. And less focusing, arguing the argument about the numbers, but actually doing something where it doesn't exist. Um, and I, I know, I, I think the Conservatives pledged to reduce homelessness, I think, by 2022, 25, something around there. Um, when we would have forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah, but there's also this idea, is that why this is something that is long, long overdue, and this is something that's been coming from the people for a long time. So it's, what's, sort of, what can we do to ensure that's how all of our policies go, whereby there is something to ensure that this thing that's bad for a country or bad for us as individuals isn't a thing, mm-hmm. um, where it's not, yeah, whether or not it's like homelessness or being paid, gender pay gap or racial disparities or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, our governments are doing something about it and not spending too much time in fighting. I think that's also what comes um, back to what he was presenting and why I think it's relatable um, in the Saving Capitalism documentary, why it's relatable to here as well. We might not have such obvious corporate investment but think about our laws we give tax havens to companies we who basically don't pay millions in tax um both here and in other countries i think google in america was saving 11 billion dollars a year on taxes from from tax breaks they literally passed this law in america where again in the documentary where um well, they, I think it was to actually stop it, but then they reversed it later. CEOs were getting basically tax cut, like breaks from being a CEO, basically, from what I understood anyway. It was kind of like, oh, you're a CEO? Okay, well, we won't tax you as much on your salary. And as much as we don't have laws like that here, we do find that corporations either don't pay any tax at all or pay minute levels of tax compared to the amount of money that they make in this country. And they can afford to pay the tax that they're not paying and still be billionaires. Yeah. They're also showing, like, the uh, yes, we do slightly tax higher earners. But if you think about it, that tax level, that, that change is around 40k, which I think most people should be earning. You shouldn't, like, inflation, we shouldn't be still, like, minimum wage shouldn't be seven pounds. It's not inflated that much since the 60s. Brexit applies to everybody. It changes everybody's lives. Everybody had their say and they and they had to enact the rules. Now, we look at the Brexit campaign. Boris, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this guy, Boris and Nigel were, 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 the, were like little devil on your shoulder, I swear. Because they were lying. It was Boris and, and, and Nigel who were pledging things and had no power to pledge them. At least with David Cameron, if he was saying he was going to do something in the Remain campaign, he was at least the prime minister and he could have bloody at least taken it to parliament. But you, as an MP, you don't really have any power. You'll find that people are a little bit standoffish when we haven't actually voted you in, much why they both ended, both her and Boris opted to have elections. But then she employed Boris. 
she put Boris on her party. And what did Boris do? Vote down her her Brexit transition period bill. For what other reason? For the fact that he wasn't the one putting it on the table. I mean, there was some... I mean, there were some sizable. Yeah, but the sizable amendments, I think, are the ones that are... The most worried. The, yeah, <laughs> the most concerning, uh, particularly to do around uh, some sort of border between, in terms of trade border, between uh, the UK and Ireland, like as in... Northern Ireland yeah, as well, yeah. Northern and the laws. The laws as well. The bit I did kind of like the sound of is that we are at a p- point where Boris has obviously put the thing on the table and this is what it is. Um, and if it doesn't work out, I think from what I've read, um, Northern Ireland and Ireland gets a say in terms of them two as uh, two different countries essentially that decide what happens between that mm-hmm. trade relationship whether or not they want to be sort of on the UK or EU sort of tariffs or whatever yeah. it is oh yeah. election yeah election and every couple of years yeah. they can the problem the problem with that election though is that at the time they didn't even have a sitting parliament no they haven't had one they, I think they have they one now. Had, they, they have they one now, have yeah. One since, I'm pretty sure they didn't have one for years, yeah. yeah. And at the time in which you're doing this agreement, you're basically asking people who cannot agree to come to work. <laughs> yeah. That was the issue as well. It was like, okay, yeah, yeah you're given this, but they can't even sort their, their, their shit out. So how do you expect them to vote? They had a parliament before that. Like, they've had a parliament ever since the Good Friday Agreement. But in terms yeah. of, so a couple of years ago, something happened. And I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been something to do, they couldn't agree on a bill. Maybe yeah, it was some kind of bill. See, no one even remembers it was so long ago. <laughs> I mean, they have one now, but they always have to have like fifty percent, like one party and fifty percent, yeah, of some. Well, fifty percent representing wanting a united Ireland, I think, and fifty percent wanting representing a unified. I mean, a one where it's separated. Yeah, it's really complicated. We did need to get to that point whereby mm. we they had to vote for that in the first mm. place because we had Theresa's bill. I mean, the whole bloody voting on the Theresa May bill over and over and over again. Three times it went through. And then all he did was make an amendment to one part of it, which ne- that same part he now wants to renege on. <laughs> His part. Yeah. That he wants to now go against. <laughs> like, he can't make up his mind. One, He's so hot and cold, you don't know where he's, he's going to stand. The reason why... I, I, I think I figured out where he's. I mean, he stands for himself. Yeah, and I think he wants to... A part of me think, and I'll be surprised to see what happens in December, thinks that they could get us to a point where actually it's kind of a forced no deal still. His whole intention the whole time was no deal. Hmm. I've been saying it for three years, two, three years. Like, he doesn't want it. Even before last last year when he got put into position, um, into leadership, and before the election, I'm telling you, the guy was saying no to Theresa's deal because it wouldn't end up with no deal. Yeah. He doesn't want a deal. Yeah. And putting in a deadline and... Demanding it happen in the middle of a fucking pandemic. I never necessarily thought that us leaving the EU was the most sensible idea in the first place. But I think, fair enough, if if that's what you want to do and people believe in it and blah, 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 blah. And I've kind of come to the point where I can see that there are benefits as well. Which, again, I feel like that after also being told for four years that it's going to happen, it's kind of like we have to kind of get used to it. Mm. Um, But I still feel like there are benefits in the same way there are also negatives too. But I kind of think that, yeah, in the middle of a pandemic when the economy is just shrunk by 20%, and there's a lot of uncertainty right now, surely it would make sense to just kind of sort of wait to see what's happening with that first before then deciding to go through a massive change in the middle of a massive change. 
I really like your deal with Japan. I'm st- I still didn't. I never really looked into it that much. You can you you can educate me if there is information that I missed because I just got pissed off with Brexit and I just hung it up. But this deal with Japan, all I can see was what the UK are getting. What are we giving up? I think you need to know, like, how can we vote on? governments for example and things like that we're not if we don't know what it is that's going on mm. and i think that they do use a lot of legal speak because it's laws so obviously but then i think why not just have a more accessible way of the average person being able to understand that because then you would be able to we would all be able to make a bit more of an informed decision and decide that oh actually maybe we don't want that to happen i don't know maybe we don't want this deal with japan because maybe it's going to involve so um, did do, do you just want it with other countries is what yeah. i'm asking <laughs> The thing is about Brexit, and it's really annoying because I feel like it overlaps with the pandemic and everything overlaps with the pandemic right now, but with the pandemic happening and everything changing, even though they tried to pretend like it's not, we can go back to normal and we could just pretend like we've dealt with it and it's past us um, when it's not, but it's here and things are changing and corporations are changing how they're working, Um, businesses are, are, you find so much more people doing subscription services than just like kind of buy one time for us they'll be like oh buy a subscription you've got razors you've got makeup you've got hair products you've got gadgets you've got everything you've got a subscription box for something world is changing how we interact it's not like a one-time thing anymore it's kind of like i am choosing where i i want to invest my money but do you know what i mean like the world is changing and therefore our laws need to move quicker with us we can't be negotiating trade deals when we don't really know what we need. The world is changing. The country is changing. The way the way in which we work is changing. I really do think like eventually people will just be like, this is life now yeah. and get to the new normal and forget what they used to have and continue to do what they were doing maybe with a few less restrictions, but they'll they'll still kind of have, there's no point changing it. And if a pandemic happens again, you're already set up to just deal with it. Yeah. No economic damage whatsoever. Maybe it gives employers the chance to say, do you know what? It does not matter where you live. I could hire someone in Scotland and be in London and we still be able to work. Yeah. Wouldn't that also, in a way, like help with... Um, austerity? Not necessarily austerity, but unemployment, for example. Uh, because actually, running an office, you have to. There's so many facilities and things that you need to maintain in terms of. And I'm sure you probably pay some, like you know, probably a big sort of rent and all of that sort of yeah. stuff you can save on by employing more people who are already in their own spaces. That I guess maybe on their side they can sort of apply for a small percentage of their tax reduced by working uh, gas and electricity and that sort of stuff. Uh, some sort of contribution, sorry. Yeah. Um, but overall, actually, yeah, you have the scope to hire more people who are going to be at home. Parents, for example, that don't necessarily have childcare or just coming out of maternity yeah. leave and all of that stuff. Why do you need to go to the office, spend money on transport? And all? I guess that makes because sense. it contributes to the economy. Yeah. So it's uh, so exactly that. So it's kind of like okay, if I don't need to do that, and I'm I'm able to have the flexibility, and I do think it will empower women more um, to to be able to kind of advance their careers while having children um obviously there's people women tend to be a lot later to have children now because they want to focus on their their careers me myself i'm like 30 now and i'm pretty sure my parents would have expected me to have popped out at least two kids by now (laughs) (laughs) um but you know what i mean like all of a sudden there's these opportunities to not have to be in a central hub of London, then people can invest in other areas. They can invest in places 
And that's why I said austerity, because I do think it would help deal with this austerity because all of a sudden, if you're at home and I need to pop to the shops, I'm going down into town. I'm not like in London where I've gotten the training to, to doing it. I'm actually investing in my society, local, local community. Yeah. Which is so important Which is a as well. big thing. That, yeah. yeah. You can create, the, rather than diverting all of this sort of traffic and... To the big uh, cities. Yeah. Direct them to local places and you see that more areas are going to thrive from, you know, having their very centralised sort of base being your home. Home and then everything else around it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's because like obviously with things like again like the retail industry and like all of that kind of stuff in restaurants and things like that. If you think about say Brighton for example, there's a lot of people that live in Brighton that work in London, and there's a lot of people that then obviously as you said like you know they're in London, so they're gonna like you know buy stuff there, whether it's like their clothes, their food, their blah blah blah. But now we're obviously at home, it's kind of like, obviously, you know, eating out is still a bit contentious at the moment, at least as of, as of, as of recording. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of feel like, again, once it's safer to, you can, like, do that, and then suddenly, like, the local economy goes up, and then suddenly, like, instead of all of the wealth being centralised in London, then suddenly, again, you find that communities are way more empowered, and actually there's more resource to go around so people live more comfortably. Yeah. And the quality of life could be more tailored to your need as an individual or your community's need because what, you know, we need down in, um, let's say, somewhere in Sussex, Red Hill, place I've never been to, just making it up, in relation to ship to London, let's say I'm a worker that goes, commutes to London, what my needs are in my local area is so completely different to what I need in London. In Mm. London, I need quick transport, Mm. I need um, things to be, I guess things kind of make sense that they're at the price they are sometimes, because I think like, it's kind of seen as being vibrant and all that sort of stuff. But I think actually if you brought some of that home, whereby you've got the rates here in terms of the amenities you have in your local area so much better, you can actually may see each of these areas becoming their own sort of mini version of London in different mm-hmm. places, in smaller communities. I don't understand why it's wrong to, instead of go every these these places are our cities why not have the whole country booming like why is there a small town somewhere that has no job opportunities and people have got to travel out because you decided it has to be in a hub why does it have to be in a hub I understand. I mean, you can understand it when it was like back in, back the, in the day. day yeah. yeah, it's not needed anymore. Even fifteen years ago, I can see why. Mm. But even now, like with the boom of internet, the connection, yeah. how quick things are in terms of communication, we could do that instantaneously right mm. now from anywhere. Yeah, and that's the reason why it's important for us to maybe adapt that way because I think it will give people more options to explore different parts of their, themselves and their lives. And it's it's funny how like. Boris is saying, you know, go to London because the shop owners need your money. But yet the high street has been dying for years, slow death. And yet no one's been trying to save the high street. So why should we bail out these big companies when people can't even afford to pay their rent? They're getting worried about kicking, um, being kicked out of their houses and losing their jobs. So one of the things I actually saw that would kind of change policy to focus on individuals and not corporations was actually it came from Bernie Saunders. Okay. So no, actually no, that's that's a lie. He did adopt it though. It came from uh what is his name? Andrew Yang, I think his name is. And um he basically presented that we should have a basic universal income. And it has been tabled in the UK as well by yeah. some Lib Debs and stuff like that. So there's the the essence of it 
Um, and I'm going to use Andrew Yang's one because I listened to his interview one time when he explained it and it just worked. So, <laughs> so it basically it would be that there wouldn't be a benefit system. So at the moment we have a benefit system, there wouldn't be a benefit system as we know it. Instead, when you turn 18, so you'd go from maybe child benefits to an adult universal income. And every adult from 18 to death receives a thousand pounds a month. He said dollars, I'm using pounds just because yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. easier. Um, so a thousand pounds a month, regardless of what you do. Outside of that, you can still work and you can still earn more, but you get thousand pounds. So if you were in a, a couple or a family or living with friends like we used to, imagine if we, when we were living together, had a thousand pounds a month each, that's three grand a month to put towards bills, rent, just buying like things that we needed to move yeah. in. We'd have loads of that money left because it wouldn't have taken us to like that was that our rent alone was half that and then our salaries. Now salaries might change, but everyone gets that thousand pounds a month, so it's kind of like actually you your salary has come down because you've already got a guaranteed income. I guess if you if you think of like an average sort of working person that's renting, thousand pounds covers like again their bills, their rent, their food. I think actually it's as easy as not even even if we didn't have that universal income, it's as easy as legislating something whereby actually or encouraging more uh, renters or landlords to go through a scheme whereby actually you paying rent and paying the amount of money we do every month kind of shows on our, our credit rate at least on yeah. yeah on our credit rating, but also shows that we we've got that spending power in a way that's not necessarily recognised now because actually banks will see this and say oh, they've not even missed the payment since they've lived here for the last yeah. five years, six years, and they've got steady income, and they're still earning this money. So you can afford this mortgage, yeah. well, there we go. Plus savings. Take. Things are going to change, which is kind of brings me back to the whole Brexit, why you still negotiating during a pandemic thing, is suddenly if more people are working from home and corporations, I'm sorry, you're going to do it for a year and you're not going to go back. Yeah. Uh, but it also means that if a, we don't have to hub into the cities, they don't have to pile us on top of each other. What would you say about to those people, yes. though, however, that I guess don't like the idea of working from home and prefers that sort of... The thing is, I think that's okay, yeah. but giving the people to, like, the flexibility... Like, I don't think it's bad if you have your 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 staff on a rotation and they come in a couple of days a week so they can no, have some... Because, uh, like, you're not going to be having a complete full packed office like you used to. There are people, there are people who live on their own who enjoy like being able to get out of that. Like you don't want people's mental health to deteriorate, but there is no point saying I want 80% of the workforce back. Why Boris? So that you can get money on the, on public transport that no one wants to get on. Yeah. But then also at the same time, knowing full well that we are still in the midst of a pandemic, but then equally, saying that we're now in this phase or blaming groups of people to say that it's your fault. But actually, you know, we had the help eater help out scheme. Yes. We had We were told to workers going back into the offices. We have different things telling this is why I, I feel like everything makes your at least for me, makes the personal political. Because these are things that sort of infringe on my own life in mm. terms of like being in lockdown. And actually what the choice I now want to make, which is that I would prefer not to go back into the office permanently. And I think maybe a lot of people during, like, in my own office and stuff might feel that way as well. But I know the government's not necessarily going to give a clear direction, but for some other people, they may say, like, 
We're encouraging businesses for everyone to go out and employee, employer, employees are going to feel pressure to yeah, go to back into that, the, yeah. yeah, when they don't necessarily want to. Yeah, and you might work for a company or a charity or an organisation of some sort that actually, because the government are sort of given this very loose suggestions uh, and implying that, you know, it's safe and all of this sort of stuff, when it isn't really, from what they've also said. Um, yeah, like, that's only going to make people more frustrated and we're seeing more protests and that sort of stuff because people are taking the situation into their own hands. Pandemic or not, I'm going to still go to the beach. Not me personally, but mm. I might go to the beach. Like, I feel like in terms of kind of like, it was probably more dangerous back during the time when we weren't wearing masks and weren't doing all this and stuff than it is now. Yeah. So we kind of have some of it. But I do agree with you. I just feel... I feel like they don't really know what they're doing, but then I feel like, again, as you're right, nobody really knows what they're doing. But I think they just need to have something and be consistent. Because I think if you keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, people are just going to be like, you're really pissing me off. You're really disrupting my life. Like, and again, it does make the personal political, and it makes the political very personal at the same time, because these things do have an impact on our lives. And some people will turn around and say, like, and I've heard them say, like, I'm not a very political person, I don't really care about it, it's not really my thing, and it's like, but... I've said from the very beginning of the, the, the pandemic, when they were, were comparing this to the Spanish flu, I was like, okay, we are at a time in which we have way more scientific progress than we did in 1918. However, this was here, they took it X amount of time to get a vaccine, 12 to 18 months. It was, it was around before it disappeared, I believe. Um, I might be wrong. I don't think there's a vaccine. I'm pretty sure it just kind of went away um, after 12 to 18 months. And um, I was like, okay, the the scientists are telling me to get a vaccine for something like this, which we will need. It's going to take 12 to 18 months. So I'm like, look, this is short term in life, but it's here for like the immediate future. Yeah. So I'm going to start setting my mindset to be like, do you know what? What should the new norm be? What should my new new norm be? I knew that the the stringent lockdown wouldn't be forever. I knew we'd be able to kind of move around and that was never going to be stuck in stone. Um, but life needed to change to adapt, to be able to get to the point where if something like this happens again, our economy is not going to tank because of it. Yeah. We have been plunging into again, like what they've been saying in in the saving capitalism documentary that I mentioned. Um, people are no longer trusting their governments. One of the th- things that he said in American government, I completely agree with it. Here with Brexit, we were we were polar opposites. We were kind of down the middle. That was kind of the same with quite a few things. Do you know what I mean? So they were saying that in the I can't remember. I think it was the fifties or sixties. They but most people polled said that they trusted in their government. It was like 80% that was trusted in their government and or 70% actually. It was 70% said they trusted in their government and they believed that they would enact policies that would help them. Today it was is about 30%. Wow. Or That's less. So I think it was less. I'm still I think I'm still putting the the things in from the other one, but it was it was similar. It was like today it was kind of like 20% of America don't actually like believe that their government are doing what's right for them. And it's also happening here and like I said with with Brexit, us being polar opposites, the the literal pull to the left and pull to the right, that is a, a sign of unrest, a sign of unsatisfaction, a sign that we can't come together because we we need different things and no one's addressing different things. They're, they're actually not addressing 
isn't the things that we believe in at all because both of us are pulling. Because neither side believe that the government is actually representing them and that's worrying because if both sides don't believe that, what, who are the government representing? Yeah. But then it's also that scary part of maybe the government can't represent either side and there will always be that conflict where nothing can unify both sides in a, in a, in a way whereby we have a situation like Brexit where, you know, I guess the country in some way, like, maybe they felt split, but there was still that 52%, I believe, mm. that still voted for Brexit. Yeah. And, you know, we now need to be at a place where we're compromising on both of those. No one solution is going to work for both, but it should be focused into unifying rather than keeping these things as two separate sort of different conflicts going on left-right sort of thing, whether or not there is that such spectrum left-right, blah, blah. But, um... <laughs> I don't think there should be. To be honest with you, I kind of think that basic human needs shouldn't be a political issue, in my opinion. I think that regardless of whether you sit left or right, if someone was to turn around and say to you, do you want to make sure that you can live comfortably, like, without being, without suffering, without discrimination, without that kind of stuff, the majority of people, I'm sure, turn around and say yes. And I'm sure if they were to turn around and go, oh, well, there's this group of people that can make that happen for you, I'm sure the majority of people go, okay, do it. Like, I think that mm. there's so much playing politics around politics. Here, here. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether or not you guys saw it, but they did this documentary called The Social Dilemma. No, I don't think I've seen it. Well, it obviously... So, The Social Dilemma is basically... Um, it, it is a documentary, although they do kind of dramatise it. It's a bit weird. Um, and... They are actually interviewing people who used to work for massive tech companies. So you're talking about Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Google, like all of Silicon Valley, basically. And they were instrumental in things like the like button on Facebook. Um, the way that, like everything that we use now, they were like normally at the conception of these kind of softwares that we now incorporate into our day-to-day -day life. And they are basically a lot of them ended up quitting because of the fact that they didn't think essentially that the ethics of internet use and the way that we're using the internet for these companies for me it's kind of like well these people they they invested in what capitalism is they did what they made money they they found ways to churn uh, an income and continue to make that grow which is essentially what you ask of human beings they've just done it in their own ways right but what they're saying is actually some of these algorithms that they have that push content to you. So, for example, if you're on YouTube or if you're on Facebook, um, the Cambridge Analytica whole, whole thing that that all ties into it is this, the essence that if you if you have shown signs that you could um, be, be have tendencies to go into conspiracy theories, you know, if you believe that the world the world is flat. Or, do you know what I mean? That's something like that that is kind of against the widely known consensus. Then they would start suggesting to you other videos and posts that you should be watching that then kind of caused into this, this spiral of, and then because the algorithm sees you that you're watching these hate videos, then they keep showing you these hate videos. And they keep showing you these hate videos until, until you start believing them. So they were essentially, again, they're all American Silicon Valley. It's, the one of the two places where most tech companies come from. They were were basically saying that with the election and with the 
whole Hillary conspiracy and stuff like that, all of those things, imagine you're constantly like being pushed videos of Fox News who rarely tell the truth, let's face it, who rarely give you the bigger picture. They just kind of keep it to what you, they think that you would be interested in. It's exactly the same within the internet. So it's just pushing you content that will help you believe that and it's blurring the lines between people's truths. You're on the left, you all, you see videos on the left, you see all the people that you connect with who are on the left, you tend, you're not going to be shown the conspiracy theories because you're not the person who tends to believe in, in those kind of theories, so therefore they'll show you something else. And that's how the divide that they've come where, where they believe that how Trump won the election. So it's, it's, it's based on that. Obviously, there's a lot more to it than what I'm explaining. But to kind of bring it into the conversation, I want to kind of give you that kind of background. With that idea, I thought it was really interesting. Like, I don't, I didn't believe everything that they say. I, I take everything with a pinch of salt because I'm kind of like, mm, I see where you're coming from. But I did kind of understand in terms of the, like we talk about all the time when we're on social media and we are scrolling, we just keep scrolling. And then um, they do dramatize it with these little people, like they're in your phone and they're like, there's like a hologram of you and like, okay, he's stopping on this. Okay, monetize over here and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I'm mistaking it a bit too far, but okay. Um, But that kind of sense that people are are only kind of being in their own bubbles um, and again, not having regulations for these companies. um, Like, I don't believe that politics has caught up as much as to technologies, let technology bound past it and is now realising it needs to have regulations in place um, where companies can just make billions of money and the, the product is us, like they're selling us. If the service is free, you are the product. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I remember seeing or at least seeing a clip of that and I remember someone saying, but it was basically a person, and it was kind of early part, the early kind of sort of the doctors of internet and stuff, basically saying like um, that basically if something is free, then you are the. It might have been the same thing. Um, I think I've heard that before. Yeah. To be fair, so it might not have been, but it 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 does make sense. Like to me, it's always been like, okay, yeah, you are the product, and for me, that's never not been a known thing like I knew I didn't realize the extent of it but I did know that like if you're using something you're not paying for it then they've still got their business at the end of the day they still got to be yeah and it's your data now I don't know if there's any secrets that you know now we're finding out with like Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that um well I suppose they're the same let's just say Facebook because Facebook is Instagram but (laughs) you know with like harvesting that data and then it ended up with something like Cambridge Analytica where they were kind of using that to basically change people's minds like it gives you know these companies another way to essentially forge our minds and it's always been hand in hand i feel with politics if you look at the um the second world war this is uh, as far as i'm aware but i don't know you know how it used to run or whatever but if we look at the second world war for example the 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 when the not even the second world war first world war sorry when they had the swine the spanish flu um, the reason why it's called Spanish flu, so I understand from various sources on the internet, so do correct me if I'm wrong, but what I understand is that because of the war, a lot of countries did not want to kind of bring another downer onto their populations. So instead of reporting on the the Spanish flu, they would kind of push media to report about other things. So when historians are kind of looking back and they're kind of like, what happened... They've only got Spanish reports because Spain were the only people who were actually reporting what was happening. And that's why they ended up kind of dubbing it the Spanish flu. 
even though it um, affected loads of people. But do you see how it's easy yeah. to kind of make people believe that that everything's okay or to take their attention off of something, which I don't believe they can do as easily now because of the how connected we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they do it in different ways. Yeah. So the other night I was waiting up to watch the basketball and I was watching the videos of the wildfires in... California, have you seen them? Is this the one called by, caused by the gender reveal party? <laughs> oh, there was, there's, that's one of them. The thing is, is that oh, the whole country hmm. is currently um, like blazing in wildfires. Oh my God. I sent this, I'll show you. I sent this um, post to my mum. <laughs> She'd never go to my mum's conversation. <laughs> I sent her a post earlier um, that was from the Evening Standard that says Boris Johnson worried about money on prime ministerial salary of 150 grand. <laughs> and she replied, oh, bless him. <laughs> with a palming, palming face. Uh, uh, thing, what was, it, what was I looking for again? The wildfires. Okay, two. Um, this was... These are the locations of wildfires. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. In America. It's like the whole... At the same time. Jeez. They're, they're currently blazing. Wow. Well, That's at, scary. At the point of posting, which was a couple of days ago. On top of that, have you seen the hurricanes? No. They've just had a, this hurricane in Greece. They don't get hurricanes. What? <laughs> they're like, they're, we, they never really get hurricanes. And now they've just had a hurricane in Greece. You've got wildfires in um, Australia. So I started spiraling even more and more and more until I found this website that um, was looking back over the last four years. So it went back to 2016 and was looking at what it deemed like unrest, social unrest. And mm. um, so it wasn't just like natural um, events. But it was also kind of like political unrest as well, so like protests and everything like that. So I scrolled to the bottom and I went to see how many, I counted how many were in 2016. Mm. And they counted seven. Seven of those events. 2017, nine. In 20, 2018, that's what that was it. Nine events in 2018, 2019, there was ten events. 2020, which has not finished, 15. Wow. Jesus Christ. It's like gone up and up and up and up. Yeah. Why are we still pumping fuel and fossil fuels? We spend more money on pumping fossil fuels than we do actually creating ways in which we can uh, harvest natural renewables resources. Mm. And we continue to pump out emissions and say that we're going to lower them by X amount of time, lower them quicker. Mm. We've been saying this for decades. Yeah. It's not like brand, it's not like we only knew about this like a couple of years ago. Yeah. People have been saying this for like as long as we've been alive, enough time to pass now. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. I think it's a trick really, because when we think about UK, American terms in terms of politics, they're not very long. When they pass it on, if they don't get into the next term, that's then, you know, the next winner's job to sort of sort out the issues in terms of climate change, mm. different issues that we see in terms of maybe on a local level, homelessness and things like that. Um, it's the local leader, um, sorry, the politicians, they sort of like delay because they don't want to, they want to cater to a certain audience, but not necessarily be seen to do things that will really make a difference in terms of globally, really, like yeah. climate change. 
I mean, from the stuff I've read of uh, Trump and his view about climate climate change is not a good one. And America, uh, through various statistics, comes up as one of the biggest contributor to carbon emissions across the world. Yeah. And the fact that uh, the president of a very big and powerful country is kind of almost not really acknowledging that this thing is actually a thing that's going to change and doesn't understand why people are protesting in the way that this is something he can act now about and do something about rather than focusing on the fact that there's a certain group of people that's going to vote for him vote for him let's cater to everything they want in terms of his identity and who he is as a i guess more right sort of swaying singing sitting politician yeah yeah I kind of feel like you... I feel like in cert- when you're protesting for certain causes... Um, in fact, actually, I think when you're protesting for all causes, I think you shouldn't really... Damage shouldn't really be the main priority unless it's... I don't know. Unless if, obviously, it's the, a property that's... A, like, a statue, for example. I feel like if you need to tear a statue down, like, well... But who... Uh, like, I feel like you're not murdering people in the street. You're, mm. pouring, you're pulling down a monument that shouldn't be there in the first place. Mm. It's not an act of violence, like... But, but the thing is, who decides? Though? Yeah, who decides? But also, doesn't... That's I think problem. that by having... I don't know by looking and giving that so much focus I think that kind of distracts from what those arguments are about yeah it's not about an argument about whether or not they should do the splash pain over this building or statue or to remove a statue mm. it's about what they're actually saying why they're removing this that's the important part yeah. and I think that's the things we need to look at like you know we know climate change is happening we're yeah. so slow we're like glacially gla- I can't even say Glacily. the word yeah <laughs> like moving further and further away from the problem in that we're like pushing it aside but it's there and come like 20 years or whatever it might be you know we will see a massive difference in terms of like maybe how hot our summers become yeah um more wildfires and that sort of stuff across the world Mm. again kind of rounding it up to what i was saying at the beginning we have kind of let our governments lead us in the way in which they think that is best Mm. without necessarily representing what the people want and that's what the governments are supposed to be so instead of pretending that people aren't upset like about climate change and that, that you can't see the effects of how people were doing it come on you have a, a, a year in which a pan, global pandemic hits big protests in so many different countries yeah. i don't know if there is a, a country that hasn't had a protest this year because all we hear about is protests in com- different countries standing against the system that means that the system that's been built right now is not working because (laughs) there's a lot of protests going on now and it's not even anything really to do with the actual probably biggest threat right now which is the how we manage to go on in in a world where coronavirus exists but at the same time it's not necessarily thinking about the masses it's kind of thinking about what we need to do to make money and sometimes yeah. We have forgotten, I, th- I believe, hmm. that um, we've forgotten that the two can be mutually exclusive, don't have to be mutually exclusive. No. My my leaving question. Ooh. You are Prime Minister. Ooh. <laughs> right now, right now, let's go with right now, what would be your top three priorities? Is that more what I would want to be the top three priorities or... <laughs> The, what the top three well, you're supposed to be representative of the country not only of what you you want 
So, because you're Prime Minister, you're obviously like, you need to try and sort this shit out. Like, obviously, I'm not asking you to sort it out, but what would you, what kind of areas, for example, would you prioritise climate change and then you would prioritise? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what would be the three? It doesn't even have to yeah. be broad, it could be something specific. Mm. I think for me, my top three, one of number one, maybe, or maybe not putting in any order, but like, <laughs> one of them would be, um, I guess, looking at social laws around things to do with like diversity in work um diversity in terms of our community and not saying Mm. that there should be more diversity diversity necessarily but more sort of looking at diversity in the intersections and doing more to legislate around the intersections to make sure that everyone is protected in an equal way yeah the second issue i'd look at because i know it's a massive topic in the um in this country and always has been and maybe always will be but would be the NHS. That's something I'd want to build in to be something that people can trust in and know that actually this thing, you don't need to worry about, you know, the where the funding is coming from or this fear of it being nationalised or sold off in parts or whatever it is, the opposite of, you know. Um, mm. I, I'm not really sure what the third thing is. It can be like, like I said, you, you would... Oh, Brexit. I'll deal with Brexit. How would you deal with... No, you can't just go, I'd deal with Brexit. <laughs> That's like, it's not like, oh, I would implement more, uh, make sure that we've got more power stations so we are putting green incentives so people can buy hybrids. Mm. I'd probably be like lynched for this or something. But like, <laughs> um, like, I would probably delay it slightly and not by not not <gasps> blasphemy December was always <laughs> unreasonable because <laughs> Boris said it was it was just always on not a good amount of time but maybe to like some point after Easter or something where it's not too far away yeah and that, think of a different holiday to do it on yeah and what I'd go back <laughs> what I'd go, go back <laughs> we could create a holiday for, we can make a holiday for Brexit oh my god we could have like a longer um, Easter is this going to be like when Harry and Meghan got married and I didn't get a bank holiday because at that point I stopped caring yeah I would have been a bit more invested in their relationship had they got me a bank holiday (laughs) (laughs) what else are you doing for me I mean at that point I was like not interested then I'm like okay cool that's nice this is another one of the royal family I didn't know about but like there's a lot of royal family that like pop up and I'm like who are you who are you Uh, people I will give people the fact is that they know what areas now within that withdrawal agreement and they know what the conversations are I think there should be a level whereby you've got to not necessarily a yes or no question but it's more questions that it's not yes or no it's more of a statement or more of a something that summarised legally what that might be Mm. yeah say like when the UK leaves the European Union our fisheries market will be based here and be decided in this way do you want this or do you want this Uh, yeah Yeah, and then depending on what people vote in terms of that that could then be the final thing that we're saying these are what we've discussed this yeah. is okay but then the eu still will come back as well do they do that with all their countries but that's but that they would have done that all within the not the knowledge that they have now about the discussions that they're having around oh, okay. what's so like possible at the same time. yeah but then you still got another shape what would you be your top three things so my top three things would be hmm. you have time I think the first thing I would do, actually, is I would reform the education system. I think with Brexit, I'm just going to leave it alone for, like... Because I feel like it's a bit of a minefield. And, yeah, so I would deal with... In terms of the health system, I would do things with that. But part of the things I would do would kind of be more to do with outreach... Like, try and kind of sort of do more outreach for people who kind of, like... Again, people like homeless people, like, people that are on drugs, people with mental health problems... Um, 
and kind of sort of focus more on that to try and sort of rehabilitate hmm. so it's like you know people can be happy and, I think um, and it will help the economy yeah exactly because mm-hmm. it will create jobs and then it will also create more people that can work which will generate tax revenue more to skilled jobs. people yeah and I would say another thing is it's a bit controversial but I would subsidise um, fruit and vegetable kind of farms and stuff and make it so that healthy food is more cheaper and more accessible in supermarkets. <laughs> Although I did put in my yearbook that I'd either be bi- a biochemist or prime minister. How did that work um, out? Well, I'm neither of those things. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time. Still time. There is still time. Prime Minister's 56. Exactly. No, I wouldn't want to deal with that shit. Fuck it. So, um, my three things mm-hmm. would be um, getting, making broadband a utility, Ooh, making yeah. sure that everyone has connections to the internet. Um, I'm sorry, guys, but 5G is going to be cool. So, <laughs> it, it depends on how far I would be in the future to make 5G hacking, because at the moment, let's face it, Maybe for good reason, you know, with China, but you know, it's another thing. Um, But (laughs) make sure that broadband at its current level is fast, like people can get good speeds um, to access the internet. Um, The second thing that I would do is I I actually would give, um, I would start the unit, the universal um, income. Oh, you be on. Do that. Thing is, the reason why I do that, so I would give everyone like they're like a thousand pounds a month, um, because they're going to spend that anyway. So I'm going to get the money back. Yeah. But um, it would also kind of um, help with the pandemic because at the moment, instead of pumping the money back in to keep the companies, while we readjust and we actually say, okay, what is what is life now? Because you need to invest it so that we can continue to make money in changing. Um, and then the first third thing I would do is. I'd look at the curriculum. Um, I'd get it more realistic of, of multiple sites. At the moment, obviously, the history history is written by the winner. Yeah. So it's kind of, it is kind of from a perspective that may almost cause people to idolise that, that, that person or people or whatever, hmm. thinking that that is what actually happened when actually, from somebody else's point of view, um, you know, in a, on another country, maybe even just like across the channel from France to France, they might feel that that same history is something completely different. Hmm. And I think that isolates us from being able to understand that people have different realities and different truths, depending on where they stand. Hmm. Um, and that ultimately brings us apart. Hmm. Good old politics. Definitely personal, that's for sure. Yeah, personal politics. Thanks for tuning in. If you're wanting to hear more from us at the Power of Three podcast, you can check out previous episodes now. And don't forget to click subscribe to get notified of future episodes. For additional content, behind the scenes fun, and more of our beautiful faces, give us a follow on Instagram at P3Podcast. You can follow me on IG at Shay underscore Cam. Look forward to seeing you there. You can follow me, Dale, on Instagram at DaleCam11. Yeah, go on, follow me. Hi, the name's Liam. I've got pics. You want to see them? Well, then don't wait till tomorrow. Give us a follow. Go on IG and search at LA Doheny.